Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Hope everybody found a seat here. We're getting kind of full in here. It's a good thing, though. Uh, it's great to see all of you. Great to be back together today. I just want to welcome uh, anybody here for the, the first time. I uh, hope you do just uh, find yourself welcomed and, and a warm welcome at that. And also just want to welcome everybody watching online. Um, again, just a lot of things going on. And uh, if, if you're new to the church in the past, as Pastor Tony said, you know, a month or so, or uh, I would just really encourage you to come out. Or if you're here for the first time today, next week's perfect for you to come out afterwards for that guest reception. It's just a great time for us to be able to connect with you, to, to hear a little bit more about your story and kind of where you're at and answer any questions. So I do hope you'll come out. And I really do hope for those of you here today, again, you just uh, are just warmly welcomed, which I'm sure our folks have done very well. We have a great group of people. Um, today we're going to be, again, in the, the book of Acts. So we have two weeks left. Anybody tired of being an axe? Would you tell me if you were? <laughs> okay. I hope not because it's really an exciting book and it's an exciting just account of how things uh, just began with the early church and just how things progressed. And again, we, we've, we've got two weeks left. Not, we're not going to cover the rest of Acts in two weeks, uh, but we're going to hit the pause button until next year. Uh, we'll kind of wrap things up at, at that point and then come back next year and, and jump back in again. But um, it's, it's been really just something, and I, I love uh, preparing the messages because it just kind of going back and, again, just kind of walking through uh, just piece by piece, line by line, of how the early church uh, just began and was developed, a lot of the opposition it faced. <clears throat> and, again, and we're all sitting here today as a result of it. Regardless of how um, the enemy tried to squash it, uh, it couldn't. He couldn't. Satan couldn't, Right. And so, you know, the church still went forward, the church still grew, and the church still, uh, again, the gospel message spread like a, a wildfire. So I want to uh, begin today by reading just a, I believe it's a, yes, yeah, it is a fictional story. Um, so uh, it's, it's the, the main character here is named Eric, and Eric is walking his dog, Nova. The dog sees a rabbit, runs after it, and pulling the leash from Eric's hand, <clears throat> the dog is soon lost, and Eric spends several days frantically searching for Nova, Nova. After a week, Eric is devastated. He is upset about the bad luck of a rabbit jumping out just at the wrong time and leading Nova on a wild chase. After another week, a woman, Vanessa, rings Eric's doorbell with Nova in tow. After the emotional reunion with Nova, Eric slowly gets to know Vanessa, and they fall in love. Eric realizes how lucky they were that Vanessa was at the right place at the right time to find Nova. Two months later, as Eric is driving to visit Vanessa, he is T-boned by a negligent driver. He suffers a severe head injury and tests are immediately done at the hospital. He is furious that his life could be ruined by this random accident when he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The next day, the doctor tells him the results of the CT scan. There's a tumor growing in his brain. It had nothing to do with the accident from which Eric would make a full recovery. The tumor was discovered because of the accident and the CT scan. It was in its early stages and could effectively be treated. Normally, the tumor is discovered when there are symptoms, when it is almost always too late. The doctor tells him the car accident saved his life. A week later, Eric has a successful brain surgery, and days later, Eric is at home recovering with Vanessa. To get some fresh air, he takes Nova out for a walk. Now, 
I'm sure all of us here have been on this earth long enough to experience, you know, again, not necessarily luck. I don't know that we, I believe in luck, but something just bad happens in our life, right? And we, we just really struggle. And it can be a very serious thing. It can be a minor thing. You know, we've, we lost our, our dog, our, this is a long time ago, uh, not the dogs we have now, but when uh, we first got this dog, it was, it was our first boxer puppy. And, and literally, I think it was the, the same day, we had picked him up and it was 4th of July. Somebody set off some fireworks and he took off running into the woods and we lost him overnight. Unfortunately, we found him the next day. Um, and, you know, it's just when bad things happen like that, it's hard to see kind of where something good could come from that, right? And, you know, I think maybe some of us have had the opportunity where something has happened and you've been able to see maybe how an outcome has come because of it that may not have come otherwise, right? And so, you know, I think for us, it's just always a good reminder and it's always a good thing to just pause when something comes at us in life and just to be reminded that God is in control, you know, that God is still on the throne and that God really is, is working even through that situation, amen? And, you know, I, you know, again, even when we talk about all the time when COVID hit and everything, but I think a lot of us have seen some of the silver linings that came from COVID. Was there a lot of tragic things and difficult things? Sure. But I think a lot of people kind of, it kind of brought them, hit the pause button in their life, of their busy lives, kind of, you know, simmered down what's really important and what's not important. You know, the people that are in their life that maybe they were so busy they didn't have time for. And so, again, it's really, I think, caused us to take a pause. And so we can always see these things. Uh, and if, we're, if we pause and, again, ask God, God, can you show me what you're trying to do here? And, and he might show you. Maybe he doesn't or maybe it's later on. But God is always working through every situation. And so, you know, when we, we get our time here today, we're going to be in chapter 11. You know, we see that the church is being persecuted, Right. A few weeks ago, we talked about Stephen as he's martyred, right? Right in front of, of everybody and in front of this guy named Saul, the first martyr, Christian martyr. And again, it seems like it's tragic, and it is. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's tragic, but God is still working, isn't he? And today we're going to find something as we jump in, in in chapter 11 and verse 19, that in this pressure, in this persecution that the church is experiencing, God is at work and God is moving. And so chapter 11 and beginning verse 19, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can follow on the screens. We're going to jump back in and we're going to read here. And it says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Let's pause there for a moment. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for, Lord, again, every single person here today, both physically, but also online as well, watching. Again, Lord, I just thank you that your word can go forth in so many ways, and God, that it changes lives. And God, I pray that that is the case today that our lives would be changed, and again, Lord, that, that you would do what only you can do. So, God, I pray you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And so we see here, you know, <clears throat> at the beginning of, of, of verse 11, it says, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. And so we see kind of this drawing back, and, and when that happened, I mean, things got real, right? 
You know, you see, you know, it's, it's kind of like this movement, things are going, it's kind of the, maybe the, the popular or fun thing to do. But when somebody was like literally murdered or killed by like official people because of their faith, <laughs> it gets real really quick, doesn't it? You know, most of us here, I don't think, are facing that kind of persecution today because we choose to be Christians, because we choose to be present here today. You know, did anybody come in here last night in the cover of darkness and sneak in? I hope not. <laughs> if you did, let me know so I can make sure the door's locked next time because uh, you got in somehow. But no, we, didn't ha we don't have to come in the middle of the night, do we? We can come plain as day and, and walk into a church that says church on the outside and, and everybody knows that we're here. And so, you know, to, to put ourselves in this setting and understand what they would have been feeling, what they would have been experiencing uh, in the wake of Stephen's death. And we see that, that that martyrdom of Stephen pushed the church out, right? It pushed the church to places it may not have gone because, again, they were probably comfortable where they were at the time. And so it made the church begin to move. <clears throat> and so Saul... I believe I mentioned this before, before, he was really used by God even before he was being realized, before he realized he was being used by God, right? His job was to persecute Christians. His job was to round them up and in some cases even murder Christians. And, and in his efforts, he was actually had a hand in spreading the gospel <laughs> because he began to move the church outward. It pushed the followers of Christ outward geographically further than they would have gone if there was no persecution. You see, a lot of times for us, when we go through difficult seasons, maybe it's persecution, maybe it's just, you know, a difficult season, <clears throat> I think where we make the mistake, I know I do, is, is what we tend to focus on is alleviating the, the point of discomfort, don't we? We want whatever's causing the discomfort to be removed because we want to be comfortable again. But wouldn't it be better if when challenges come in life, when difficult seasons come in life, if we were to pause and say, God, what, where are you in this moment? What are you doing? What are you trying to work out in me in this situation or in this moment? Rather than just reaching for whatever alleviates the pressure, say, God, I want you to finish the work that you've begun in me. I want you to work through this situation in my life. How many people like chicken? Okay, a few. I don't know about you, but I stress out tremendously whenever I'm cooking chicken, right? If you're frying chicken or if you're cooking it, right? Because it looks done as can be from the outside, doesn't it? Anybody had that happen, right? It's like, this has got to be done, right? It's either undercooked or it's like leather inside, right? Because you don't want, you want to make sure it's done, especially if company comes over. And so, you know, now I've got a, a meat thermometer and it's just wonderful. Yep, it's a lifesaver. Pop that sucker in there, it'll tell you when it's perfectly done inside. Pastor Dell, why in the world are you talking about chicken and cooking chicken? But I think that's, it repre it's representative of us, isn't it, right? Sometimes we go into the fire, we go through the heat and we want to come out before the inside is complete, is finished. And it takes time to get to that point, doesn't it? We might change our actions. We might change kind of things on the surface. We might make some small things. Before a deep heart change to occur, we got to kind of stay in the fire for a minute, to stay in the heat for a minute, don't we? And no chicken has ever raised its wing and said, that's what I want to do, <laughs> right? 
But that's what God is doing, and that's what God wants to do, and that's how he accomplishes things in us is through the difficult seasons. Because really, when we're rolling along, if we're honest, and I know everyone here is, it's, we, that's when we kind of tend to drift a little bit, isn't it? It's kind of we kind of lay back, like, oh, I didn't get time to get my, to devotional, my devotional time today or my prayer time today, or I won't go to church this week. Or, but when we're in the fire, <laughs> you're, you're crawling, right, to that moment because you need it. And so there's a consistency and there's something that really happens when we walk through that and allow God to work in us. <clears throat> and so here in Acts, <clears throat> I came across this, I thought it was really neat, but somebody said that the theme of Acts is this, all right? It says, if you obey Acts 1.8, what is Acts 1.8? Anybody know it off the top of their head? I will read it to you. Acts 1.8 says this, <clears throat> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, right? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, all right? So if you obey Acts 1.8, you will experience Acts 8.1. What does Acts 8.1 say? And Saul approved his execution. Saul approved Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So, again, if you're going to experience, you know, when you obey 1.8 about receiving power and going out into all the earth, sharing the gospel you will receive Acts 8.1, which is the persecution that will follow. It shouldn't be a surprise, but it will happen. It will come, and that's okay. But notice here, too, again, as we began our, our time here, and in verse 21, where it says, you know, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. I love that picture. You know, it, it reaches back to the Old Testament, right? When we read throughout the Old Testament, what do we see when, when, when God's chosen people or somebody's doing something you know, beyond themselves, we see that phrase, the hand of the Lord was upon them. And that's what we see here, again, in the early church, the hand of the Lord was upon them. Why? Because they were doing what they had been called to do. They were doing what God had commissioned them to do, and they were on mission and, and going out and spreading the gospel to anyone who would hear, and even those who didn't want to hear. They were sharing the gospel. And so, you know, today I think we struggle, like, you know, again, I feel dry in my walk with God. I feel like, you know, God's not doing anything. And, and you know, one of my first questions would be, well, what are, you, what are you doing for the Lord today? What is it that God has called you to, and are you, are you stepping into that? Are you stepping out in that? Because God's hand doesn't just rest on you so that you can feel good, so you can feel warm and fuzzy. <clears throat> God's hand doesn't just rest upon you, again, so you know you can just live a, a life of complacency. God's hand rests upon you. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that you're not a believer, but if you want God to empower you by the Holy Spirit, and that, that phrase, the hand of God resting upon you, then you have to be on task, upon mission, right? And so I think we need to come back to that, and I think that's really something we can draw from today as we begin to look at this, this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> And so we see here an expansion of, of the early church. And because of this, we see two churches that are emerging, all right? It's one church, but two kind of locations, right? The churches that, that began in Jerusalem, but then we also see this church in Antioch beginning to rise up, right? 
because of this, this moving of the believers outward, because they're going and they're beginning to share the gospel. And so this church in Antioch is becoming a very established place, a big place. This church in Antioch, it was established by Hellenists, um, the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians that were there. And they, again, as we have talked about, they're the ones that had fled the persecution when Stephen was martyred. And so Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, they were all, um, we're talking about, they were all situated uh, near on the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean, right? Cyprus, some of you know, is the island that kind of sits out there. And then on the coast region is, is the, uh, Antioch and Phoenicia. And so they're all kind of right there in that region. And so it's good for us to understand that. And so let's talk about Antioch for a minute, all right? We probably know the name pretty well. But I just want to kind of give you an idea of, of the, what the city was like then. It's, it was located in uh, Syria, named by one of the four generals of Alexander the Great. General Seleucus named it after his father, Antiochus. Okay? Anybody have any cities named after them? No? I mean, it's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, about 300 miles of, uh, north of Jerusalem. Okay? So we're, we're talking about a considerable distance, you know, especially migrating and moving 300 miles, that's a, a pretty significant distance. And so this is significant that it's, this, this, this church is rising up there uh, so far from Jerusalem. But this, this, this city of Antioch, it was positioned on a trade route, and its population was about 500,000 people, and it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Right? So it's not a little village, it's not this little thing, it's kind of a hustling, bustling city, metropolitan kind of life <clears throat> and kind of place. The Orontes River was, uh, it was from the point where it came from the Mediterranean, all right? It was actually, you could navigate all the way to Antioch, almost 15 miles, right, inland. So as you can imagine, you know, all the shipping and everything else, this was a, a very a hot spot to be, a good spot to be. And so, you know, it had a, it had a port, and it had a major port. One, one of those ports was in a town of Seleucus, that general, remember, that named after his father. He had to have his fame, too, so he named this this town after himself. And so again, a lot of stuff was going on. It was a melting pot for Greeks, Syrians, uh, Jews, Latin, and, and Africans. So it was this, again, probably like Chicago kind of, right? I mean, it's this, this melting pot of culture. And so a lot of stuff was going on there. Now, Antioch, on the other side of things, was notorious throughout the Roman Empire for its immorality, as you can imagine. Right, Because you know, everything kind of rolls in, everything kind of goes, and everything is sort of okay and accepted. And so you know, five miles from the city was a major cult center for the Greek goddess uh, Daphne and her consort Apollo. And you may recognize that name, and, and in that, that cult practice, they had you know, prostitution as part of the way they, they, they uh, worshiped. And so you had some pretty bad things going on, right? Some pretty... Um, Staggering things going on. But I'll say this, though. Again, as, 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 as bad and wrong as those things were, what it showed, though, is that people were searching for a higher power. They're, they're looking to something beyond themselves. And so really the door was open for, for the gospel message to come in because they, 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 they recognized that there was something beyond them. Again, their, their actions were obviously misguided and misdirected. And so we see, you know, this opportunity. <clears throat> and so in verse 19, you know, where it says uh, that they were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, you remember last week and kind of the week before we talked about when uh, the Holy Spirit came to the, the, the gospel message came to the Gentiles, right, to Cornelius' home. 
You guys remember that? And, you know, when, when that happened and how Peter had to come back and give an account, right, to his, his brothers, his Jewish brothers in, in, in uh, Jerusalem. And how did that go at first? <laughs> Bad, right? They're like, what are you doing talking to? Why are you even going into a Gentile's house? And so, you know, we have to remember that, you know, these, 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 the early church, these Jews that were pushed out and northward, initially they're only talking to the Jewish folks there, <laughs> Because that's what they believed, and that's probably what they, maybe what they were comfortable with. They didn't want to cause too much trouble, maybe. But they're talking to, to the Jews. Now, again, in verse 20, it says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, again, that word Hellenists, in some of your translations, does anybody's translation say Greek, if you're looking at your Bible? Some of them say Greeks, all right? So either one is fine. But some will debate here if Luke was referring simply to the Hellenized Jew, so that the Greek reference basically is just talking culturally, this Jewish person is Greek, or uh, is it referencing, you know, <clears throat> an actual a Greek person that, that would be a Gentile? And, you know, when we look at that, uh, again, if, if the, it's Greek-speaking Jews or non-Jewish Greeks, um, you know, the, people want to kind of debate that, but it seems probable that Luke is speaking to non-Jewish Greeks because of that phrase, he spoke to Hellenists or Greeks also, okay? That he's, that's showing that, yeah, you've got the Jews, but then also they were speaking to these, these folks too, or this group of people. Also on top of that, the message that was preached to them, as it said, it, it refers to Jesus not as Messiah, but as the Lord Jesus. Now, again, for us here, we say the Lord and Jesus all the time. But for, <clears throat> for somebody that was outside or for, the, for somebody that was a Jew, <clears throat> you, would, you would go in and you would talk about the Messiah, right? Because for the Jew, that's the, f f f f <laughs> sorry, the fulfillment of, of everything, right, was the coming Messiah. And so when they would be speaking to, and if you, when you read Scripture and they're talking to a predominantly Jewish audience, they usually refer to Jesus as the Messiah because that makes sense to them. Here in this setting, they're talking about the Lord Jesus, meaning they're using the word Lord because that's going to get somebody that's outside of the Jewish faith that's going to get their attention because they understand what that word means, Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. And so, again, so it's, it's pretty safe to say, why am I sharing all that? It's not just fun facts for you to understand, but it's also for you to understand that these Christians were boldly, there was a group of them that were boldly stepping into ministering to the Gentiles, to people outside of the Jewish faith. Because God, again, was leading, was compelling them to do that by his Holy Spirit. So let's read on further now in Acts chapter 11. Jumping back in at verse 22, it says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they set Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and, and uh, with steadfast purpose. <clears throat> For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. <laughs> and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. 
So this is the beginning of it all. You know, we're called Christians. We say we're Christians, but it all started right here at this point when they were first called Christians. In verse 22, again, we see when Jerusalem heard of the Gentile mission in Antioch. Again, everything was kind of being reported back to the headquarters, if you will, to Jerusalem. And when they heard about it, notice they did not send you know, an apostle. They didn't send one of the apostles, one of the big names, right? The big guns, if you will. You know, when, when, when Philip was preaching to the Samaritans, or when uh, Philip went to the Samaritans, you know, he would, had been sent uh, to, to reach them. But here we see this non-apostolic delegate, Barnabas. And so, you know, we always should kind of pause and say, you know, why? <laughs> I wonder why. But what we're going to do is we're going to unpack Barnabas a little bit, and we're going to discover him to be a, a great choice. So Barnabas, again, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Acts 4.36. And if you look there, we see a man named Joseph, and you may remember this from our series when we started or maybe in your own reading, but there was a man who had sold property in Cyprus named Joseph, right? And when he had sold it all, he brought it to the disciples' feet and laid it down. And if you remember at the beginning, they shared everything, right? And so this, this Joseph sold his property, brought all of the, the proceeds to the, the disciples uh, or the apostles' feet and said, here you go. Well, they renamed him Barnabas. That's the Barnabas we're talking about. Okay? And Barnabas means, listen to this, the encourager. <laughs> the encourager. I mean, if you're going to name, you know, your kid something, Barney's a good choice, I guess, right? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> I always get myself into trouble because I talk about names in the Bible and, you know, what they mean, and some of them are not good. Um, and so I've stopped doing that unless it's a positive thing because I kind of went dialed down on a couple of the names and how horrible they were. Then somebody named that comes up after the service and says, hey, you know, that's my name. It's like, oh, well, God bless you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to leave now. So, um, but Barnabas means the encourager. So if you got anyone in the shoot, you know, if you got, you know, a little guy on the way or whatever, you got, there you go. The encourager. But in Aramaic, in Aramaic, it means the son of encouragement or refreshment. Okay? Refreshment. Now, hold that for a second. Check this out. This was really cool. In its Greek form, the root of the title, all right, for, for Barnabas, is the word that Jesus used in, in his upper room uh, discourse when he was talking to the, the disciples for the, word, for, the, for the Holy Spirit. All right? When he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another encourager, the Spirit of truth in John 14, 16. And so it's pretty neat, like how there's this connection with Barnabas's name, right? And, and, and you know, how many like to be encouraged, right? You know, sometimes you just need that. When we're going through a hard time or something kind of, you know, the wheel came off somewhere in our life, some people you're going to call, some people you're not. Some people you may be related to, <laughs> and you're just going to say, you know what, I'm not going to talk to them right now because I need to talk to somebody that's going to give me the encouragement I need to kind of press forward and face this, Right? And it's important to have those people in our life. It's important to have encouragers. Now, there are times, and hopefully that, even that encourager, they will lay down kind of you know, the honest truth, the hard truth, if you will. But there's, you know, there's a season and a point and a time for that. 
Sometimes when we get that difficult news or we're having to step into that difficult position, we need somebody there just to encourage us along the way. And so in Acts 9, you know, again, Barnabas is the one, uh, if, if you look back at Acts 9, you can do that on your own sometime, but he's also the one that brought Saul <laughs> to the apostles and vouched for him. Now, can I just pause here for a minute and just say, you really have to have the gift of encouragement and really be confident in yourself to bring a, a, a murderer of Christians who says he's had this, you know, this conversion experience on the, the Damascus Road and bring them into kind of the inner sanctum and say, hey, I'm going to vouch for this guy. I know he killed some of our brothers, but I'm going to stand here and, and I'm going to say he's good to go. So we see here what that gives us a glimpse of, of Barnabas's heart and, and what God had called him to do is to encourage people, is to, to be there and to stand. And he definitely was a significant person, but you saw his heart back at the beginning when he was still Joseph and sold you know, a bunch of land and gave the, that to the, to the early apostles. And so we see just kind of the character of this man, don't we? And so Barnabas, again, he, he has this sort of natural relationship with the Hellenists there in that area because he's, from, he's a native of Cyprus. He's, he grew up in that area. And most likely he was fluent in Greek. And so, you know, Luke emphasizes the, the positive qualities of Barnabas. If you look there, if you're in your, your Bibles in verse 24, he's, Luke says, again, listen, I'm always going to come back to this. I'm going to sound like a broken record on this. You need to make sure you pause and read what's there in the Scripture. It's there for a reason. And, you know, there's a phrase that says he was a good man. For, for again, we talked about last week, you know, the, the book of Acts probably could have rolled out right across the floor here from wall to wall. That was, that was all the space that Luke had to write. Do you really got to, you've laid out all these other things, do you really got to say he was a good man? Well, again, he's saying it for a reason. He's trying to get to the character of, of who Barnabas is. And it's a phrase that Luke actually used elsewhere, only one other place, and that was Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea. In Luke 23, 50, it says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. Right? So when we read a phrase that seems very familiar, we need to understand, again, it's there for a reason. And so Luke is wanting to develop who Barnabas really is. He also says this, he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, if, if there was a phrase that I would love to be you know, said about me is that he's full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I hope that's, that would be your prayer as well. Would people say that about you? Could people say that about you? But the, you know, again, it's, this is written about Barnabas and it's, a, it's a, also the same phrase that was used to describe Stephen. In Acts 6, 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. Again, when the disciples chose him, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. All right? And then they list out the other ones that were chosen. <laughs> and so it's really interesting. You know, you're kind of seeing maybe how it's all connected, right? How it's all connected. I mean... Again, it's kind of interesting, at least to me, 
when it says he was a good man, and it's talking, you know, the other place is about the other Joseph. His name was Joseph originally. And then here we're talking about the, everything being dispersed, all, everybody being dispersed because of the martyrdom of Stephen. And the word, that phrase that's describing him was the only other place with that is when they talked about Stephen, when he talked about Stephen. And this is the beauty of Scripture. It's just all like everything is connected and in order. We may not always see it, but it, it's there if we take the time to look. And so we see again this man Barnabas. You know, you could say that he was a bridge builder. He was one who was able to see the positive aspects in both sides of an issue and mediate between perspectives. And so thankfully, when Barnabas arrives on the scene, and you've got, you know, the Jews over here, you've got the Gentiles, and, and everybody's kind of talking, you know, every, and trying to work this stuff out. Again, Barnabas arrives, and he sees it, and he sees this. He sees, if you take nothing else from the message today, it's, it's this. He saw the grace of God at work. Look around this room today. Go ahead and look. Go ahead. Don't really do it. Look around. Turn your head. Make it awkward for somebody. Okay, you see all the different people that are in this room. You see, you know, different ages, different ethnicities. You see all these different, you know, uh, people in, gathered in this room. It's because of the grace of God. Because, it, again, it doesn't make sense for a group to gather like this unless there's something far greater than ourselves. And it's by God's grace. And here, again, the early church, we see the grace of God at work and moving. And so Barnabas recognizes that, and so he stays and begins to help them. And as the numbers grew, he's like, I need to find some help. So who should I get to help? Who would be crazy enough to jump into this with me? Saul, right? I mean, I vouched for him, kind of put my neck out there, he owes me one. I don't, this is all paraphrased, by the way. This is not. <laughs> but he's thinking, like, who's the guy that can help with this? Saul. And so he's got to go. He goes and he, he looks. He seeks out Saul. And for a year, they taught at the church in Antioch. Saul and Barnabas, right? Barnabas and Saul. You see, Barnabas doesn't condemn Instead, he teaches and stays for a while, and the result is that the church just begins to grow and explode in that region. Did they choose the right guy for the job? <laughs> they sure did. Was he, did he have all the flash and, you know, the titles and the glamour that maybe some of the other apostles had? No, he was kind of the, the outlier a little bit. But they're like, you're the guy God's chosen for this job. We need you to go. And that applies to each and every one of us today. Wherever you're at today, whatever you're called to, don't buy into a lie that says that, you know, I'm insignificant, I'm, I can't do that, I'm not called to that. You know, that's, that's kind of the primary position that God works from with people. <laughs> All throughout Scripture. Why? Because he wants the glory. You can't do it in your own strength, then yeah, you're probably the one. <laughs> You're the one that he's going to choose because when, when, when things happen and stuff goes on, again, people are going to say, there's no way you could have done that on your own. You're like, you're right. <laughs> Let me tell you why. So as, let's talk about Saul just for a minute as we kind of begin to wind things down here. You know, Saul, remember, he was waiting for 10 years 
He was hanging out for 10 years. But also remember that he was a Jew, a Greek, and a Roman. I mean, he was all these things in one. So, I mean, if you're looking for kind of a, a special forces kind of guy, somebody that's highly, you know, ready and skilled for this, you know, and, and had the experience, it was, Saul would have been your guy. Minus his, you know, <laughs> his past. But do you realize that if Barnabas hadn't gone after Paul, I mean, I say this, but, you know, about, I'm sure God would have done it anyway, but about half of the New Testament may not have been written or been written by somebody else, right, if, if God did that. So the person, again, that contributed to, to almost half of the New Testament resulted by this outlier guy named Barnabas being faithful, going into a situation, and instead of like, ah, you guys got a mess, I'm leaving, said, you know what, I, I see God's grace, I see what God's doing, it's growing, I need to find somebody, let me go get this guy. And this is where we see Saul, he, he jumps in kind of the trenches, so to speak, and learns ministry in this year, alongside of Barnabas. And maybe he did remember how Barnabas stood up for him that, that day in Jerusalem. And it says, you know, at the end there, it says in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And, you know, again, remember that time, it wasn't a positive thing. And it's, we're kind of, I feel like we're sort of moving back that direction <laughs> slowly in our culture. When being, saying you're a Christian isn't going to always be greeted with warm, fuzzy things, you know. But we see this, this, this marker in the sand, like here's where we were first called Christians. Let's finish out the chapter here in 26 through 30. It says, Now in, in, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas, and Saul. And so we see here again this, this prophet Agabus, and he, he, he uh, foretells of this, this oncoming famine, and it is documented if you look at even historical records, there was a famine that came. And from that, you know, I just want you to see that at the end, you know, again, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And the interesting thing is that Barnabas and Saul, <laughs> eventually they become Paul and Barnabas later on in the Acts, as we'll find out uh, probably next summer. And we see that full conversion. We see that full transformation as Saul now becomes Paul and goes on and, and does amazing things, not because he's so great, but because of the God he, that he serves and the calling on his life. So as we close this morning, I just want to Leave us with a few thoughts and a few questions. You know, Barnabas really does serve as a great example for us today. Again, from cover to cover of the scriptures, you know, the, the superstar, the hero is always Jesus. But in it, you know, we see these people. We see, again, the ones that, that you know, were not always picked first for kickball or whatever else. We see God use people for his glory, that in the, in the physical made no sense, maybe. And we see this guy Barnabas, and we see the example that he set for so many. 
What was the example he said? I mean, the big part of that is, is how important encouragement is. You know, that's, that's the reason why we, we gather together as a church. That's one of the reasons, I should say, right? I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes when I walk in these doors and I see one of your faces or somebody comes up and you, you give some kind of, it can be just a small thing, right? An encouraging word. You know, it's great to see you today. That's, that's why, you know, one of our greatest and most important ministries are, are, is our welcome team. From the, the parking lot. Where's Frank? Here you are. Mr. Faithful back there. Yep. I know Jim, we get to out to you. I know Brad, Mayors does it sometimes. But like our parking lot guys, the ones at the front door. Again, you know, what's so big about saying hi to somebody? You have no clue what somebody is walking in with when they walk through those doors on a Sunday morning. I know that some of you this morning probably drug yourself here this morning. Maybe a few people in tow. It's not easy, right? Easier to stay in bed. I need to sleep. I need rest. I don't want to do this. But you walk through those doors, and I pray that even before you even sat down or got in here, we started singing and, and is encouraging. I hope that somebody or even just a smile or just seeing somebody's face just lifted your spirit somehow. And so my question to you today is, is who in your world right now, who could you just say one sentence to just to encourage them? Day. You know how easy that, I mean, if we just stop and think and just say something that, that's kind, right? Maybe you're going to go out to, to eat something today, you know, and the server and your food's running late. And I, I tell you, you know, I, most, most people have, if you've worked in the restaurant industry, <laughs> it's hard on the servers. You know, they've got, they're not cooking the food in the back. And I see somebody be ugly to the server and stuff, and it's just like, you don't, you don't know what that person's dealing with. And maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't, but watch. If you say something, if you just stop them, and just, you know, they're dropping your food off and, you know, fumbling stuff or whatever, even if they spill your drink and you, you kind of help them pick it up, and you just look at them in the eye and you say, you know what, you're doing a great job here today. Watch how many times that server will stop and they won't know what to do. In some cases, they'll you'll start to see tears come down their face. Because nobody stops to see the person that they are. Nobody stops to see that or think that they're going through a hard time. And so the church here, church, we need to be a place of encouragement, great encouragement for people that are hurting, that are coming in to this place with whatever it is that they're facing. We need to be like Barnabas. What was his message? His message was simply to never give up. (laughs) Never give up. So what it is, whatever it is you're facing, whatever that is today in your life, whatever struggle, whatever, the, whatever it is, never give up, right? Why? Because you serve a God who sits on the throne and who sees from beginning to end for all eternity. And again, this, this momentary affliction, this, this, this short vapor that we're, we're experiencing here on earth is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Be reminded of that. That's that's when it all works out, right? Never give up. So who is God calling you to be a Barnabas to today in your world, in your community? And how can you be a person of encouragement to other believers today? How can you be someone who looks for the grace of God in the lives of others, and when it's found, you celebrate it? 
It's easy to find faults in people, right? <laughs> Especially in ourselves. But find something that that person's doing right <laughs> and encourage them today. Be an encouragement. Here's the deal. God's grace is for everyone, church. Amen? God's grace is for everyone. And by chapter 11, the disciples are finally starting to understand that the command was more than just a geographical charge. He wasn't just giving these geographical locations of where they were supposed to go share the gospel, but that it was for all people. The gospel of Jesus is for everyone, regardless of race, religion, class, whatever. It's for everyone. And for the next several chapters, you know, we'll get to one more before we wrap up this series. But we're going to see the kingdom grow and deal with this influx of, of growth and what's happening. Lord, help us to, to that to be our problem today, right? I would love to see this place overflowing, not because we care about numbers, but simply because I want the gospel to go out. And, and I don't want people from other churches coming here. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I understand sometimes you move and that, that situation happens. I want to see people that have come to Christ walking in here. I want to see people that don't know Christ coming in here. And my question to you, church, today is when they walk in those doors, are they going to see something different than what they see outside of the doors? Are they going to experience something that's life-giving or is it going to be something that's life-taking? I'm just going to leave it on that question. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for today. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. God, I thank you for your word, Lord, that is life-giving, that is, again, is alive, it's active, Father. It challenges us. God, I pray, Lord, that, that again, this, this message today just has spoken to our hearts, has, one, encouraged us, but, Lord, also if there's areas in our life that need to be shored up, that need, again, to be addressed, that don't conform, Lord, to the, the, what's laid out in Scripture. God, I pray that... that we would be quick, Lord, to hand that to you. God, help us to be more like you. Help us to have the eyes to see, Father, those who are hurting. God, even those, Lord, who put on the face, who, who put on the smile, and then they walk in, and you, you just think nothing is ever wrong with this person, Lord. Let us be bold enough and, and daring enough to ask the question, how, how are you doing today? How can I pray for you today? God, let us never be in such a hurry, Lord, as, as we go through our lives and what seems to be the mundane, Lord, in our schedules and, and what we're trying to do. To, to, to let us never be too busy to stop and to see the person, Lord, that we're, we're speaking to. Let us not just see a cashier or a person at the drive through window, Lord God. God, but let us see the, 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 the beautiful creation, Lord, that you've made, the person that's made in your image standing there and how can we encourage them Lord somehow God I pray you continue Lord to stir our hearts that you would give us boldness Father God and give us a, a heart's desire Lord to, to truly experience what it means Lord to have your hand rest upon us in our lives to be empowered by the Holy Spirit Lord that we, we may be on mission to the extent Lord God that, that there is space Lord and there's, there's room for your hand to rest upon us not just to make us feel good or, you know, just to, to, to have it for some selfish gain, but God, just 
that we need your power in our lives, Lord, because we are on task, we are on mission. God, I pray for each person here and each person watching today that, God, that you would stir our hearts, Lord, to, to identify someone that we can, can share our story with, Lord, share our testimony, and ultimately share the gospel, Lord. Because that's how we see the church growing in such a, 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 a just a quickly, Lord, and in a fast way, how it expanded just, again, out of nowhere and burst onto the scene. God, I thank you just that you are a God who is still active, who is still moving today, and God, who still empowers your people, Lord, to accomplish, Lord, your calling. Thank you for each person here today. I ask you to bless each one. In Jesus' name.